We're still G-Men, just without the G. We are the Spy-Fi Guys, and this is X-Men First Class. Welcome to the Spy-Fi Guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And today we are doing X-Men First Class from 2011. Now, I know what you're thinking. Is this a spy movie? And the answer is no. Hey, 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 let's not <laughs> cut to the chase here. But I thought it was a nice bookend for our uh, 60s Cold War spy movies, our little miniseries here. As you may have deduced, Christian and I are both superhero <laughs> fans. Yes. And the X-Men I sort of have more of a mixed feelings about. Really? The movies feel old school, even when they're brand new. <laughs> Perhaps because the first legit X-Men movie came out in 2000. Right. Wow. That, that as of recording, that was 20 years ago, right. which is crazy to think about. Um, and as much as I know both of us would love to get into the weeds about every comic book reference in here, we're going to try, try to stay focused on the spy reference. Okay. So with that in mind, let's jump right in. So here's the IMDb summary. In the 1960s, superpowered humans Charles Xavier and Eric Lyncher work together to find others like them, but Eric's vengeful pursuit of an ambitious mutant who ruined his life causes a schism to divide them. So right off the bat, we start with, funnily enough, the opening of the very first X-Men movie in 2000. Mm -hmm. Pretty much the exact same scene where uh, young Eric Lyncher is... uh, being put into a concentration camp, separated by, from his family, and mm-hmm. this activates his mutant power due to stress. And so as he's trying to reach his mother and his father, the metal of the gates bends around him, and yet he gets knocked out by a guard. I liked how you remembered that this was a reference to the first X-Men movie, but mm-hmm. I think the first X-Men movie did it better because it was more subtle. True. It, for those of you who may not remember, they're dragging, he's screaming, they're dragging, he's screaming, and then they turn and look and see the gate is all mangled. That's so it's true. Like, it's like an X-Files episode beginning. Whereas this one, it's really more explicit that he is the one who's bending it. They didn't show it bending as well. That's right. Sorry. And of course, if you're into the comics, you immediately know what's going. But if you're not into the comics, you're like, oh, it's a mystery. What? What's <laughs> going on there? But yeah, so the next few scenes are cross-cutting between what's going on with Eric and what's going on with Charles Xavier. And right. so in New York City, in the Xavier Mansion, we meet young Charles, who hears a noise, and he go- goes downstairs in- into the kitchen with a baseball bat. Now, being that he's British, I thought he w- it should have been a cricket bat, but then again, he's also in New York, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know Xavier's history. I feel like he is American, but was living in Britain, but he speaks with a British accent here, right? so maybe uh, it's a know. retcon. I feel like in the old cartoon, he did not have a British accent. Yeah, no, it, he wasn't British until um, Patrick Stewart played him. Um, mm. But let's focus <laughs> as, as much, again, as right. much as you and I would love to get into the weeds of the comic book stuff. Um, yes. So in contrast with Charles, who grew up in the life of luxury, yeah. and we have a brief scene where he meets Raven Darkholm, a.k.a. Mystique, and adopts her. Yep. His parents adopt her, rather. Eric grew up in a concentration camp being tested by Kevin Bacon, who seeks to use his powers for his own gain mm-hmm. to figure out more about mutants and threatens his mother and ultimately ends up killing Eric's mother in order to get his powers to activate. 
Yeah, and so this is where we find out that apparently the key to unleashing Eric's powers is anger and pain. Yes. And so when yeah, so when he his mother gets killed, he crushes everything that's metal in the room and like makes it float around him in yes. a creepy manner. Mm-hmm. Which is great, but then we get a cut to 1962. 1962. Nice year. <laughs> yes, a year where all sorts of crazy stuff happened, apparently, both in this universe and in the real world. But we meet Magneto again, or we meet Eric again, who's a Nazi hunter. And now mm-hmm. I have questions. Yes. How did he get out of the concentration camp? Uh, presumably when the Allies, you know, won the war, he got out. But it's... I can't believe that the Nazis would leave him alive. Well, he was under Shaw's protection. Under Charles's protection? Shaw or uh, oh, Schmidt. Shaw. Oh, Shaw's protection. Yes. Ke- yes, Kevin Bacon's protection. But I can't believe Kevin Bacon would just let him live. No, he's, he's experimented on to, imp- to increase his power. He wants more people with his powers around him, basically, and at their full potential. Yeah, but you think he would have foresaw that maybe Eric would want revenge on him. Maybe. Which is exactly what happens, which is interesting because it didn't bother me the first time I watched this movie. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, what? I feel uh, like there's a, a missing scene in here. So we have Magneto doing Nazi hunting. And then we have Charles in Oxford University. In a bar, flirting with a girl. And I love that his speech from, and I'm, I know we keep saying we want to focus, but this is the one thing I want to say. His speech, like Patrick Stewart's speech during the title sequence of the original X-Men, is Charles's pickup line in the bar. Mutation. <laughs> the thing that brought us from single-celled organisms to et cetera, et cetera. Like, <laughs> that, and he uses it again later. I'm just like, wait, I didn't, and I didn't catch it the first time. Like, That's his line, and he's using his pickup line. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a callback to the first movie. Mm-hmm. So I also thought, not only is he being a... Not only is he flirting, but I feel like he's also being creepy here. Would you agree on that? Creepy in what sense? Well, he reads the, his target, oh, yeah. okay. the girl's yeah. the mind, to find out what she's drinking. Mm-hmm. And just sort of generally seems kind of skeezy. Yes, no, that's okay. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Like, Charles he makes a blatant use of his powers all the time. I'm like, without permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that bothered me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, it's a contrast with other telepaths like DC Comics' Martian Manhunter, who's like, oh, no, I could never use my telepathy powers, even though it would immediately solve the conflict without much struggle at all, because that would be wrong. <laughs> but yeah, so Raven is also in the bar and kind of being ignored by Charles, mm-hmm. um, and she accidentally, you know, mutates part of her, accidentally. I don't think accidentally. Yeah mutates part of her eye because the girl he's flirting with has a mutation which gives her two different colored eyes mm-hmm. and so you know raven's trying to get some attention okay let's just put this off the bat is there a romantic interest between raven and charles no okay it it, it seems like maybe raven has one in her in charles based on her behavior in this scene no it just in in general in the movie I never got that impression. I, I got that. Like, okay, maybe like that he, she has a long-standing crush on Because, you know, later he's like, would you date me and all this other stuff? I think that's more of her other issues of feeling like she's not good enough. Okay, so, all right. So, all so right. in this scene, in this particular scene, we see she's resentful. When they ask her what she studies, she says waitressing, which could not possibly be true. Which is an obvious lie. The audience knows that. I think she just doesn't like all these hoity-toity people 
at this hoity-toity university. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, well, I mean, she's not studying with she, she's just a waitress there to stay with, close to Charles. I don't know if she is a waitress. I thought she was just lying. Or not lying, just being, what's the word I'm looking for? Just being, just being difficult, mm. be, being nasty. So we'll have to put that aside in the interest of moving on. Basically, for me, the parts that seem the most spy are the stuff involving Eric. And okay. Especially with him looking like Connery. He looks the central con, like James Bond, 60s here, with his three-piece gray suit. And he mm-hmm. goes into a Swiss bank with a bar of Nazi gold, which made me think about Goldfinger. Okay. And so he forces the bank to manager to help him to find who we, you know, what, this is where we find out what his name is. Uh, what, uh, what's his face? Ke- Kevin Bacon's name is Klaus Schmidt. And so he finds out names, yeah. one of his names. Uh, and so we find that Schmidt is in Argentina. Yes, which of course, because he's a Nazi, where mm-hmm. else would he be? <laughs> I also liked how this scene calls out the Swiss for their collaboration neutrality. with the Nazis. Well, neutrality. Well, mm-hmm. what's that expression? Neutrality in the face of oppression is collaboration or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it was John Oliver or maybe it was Stephen Colbert who also had a segment about them where he was like actively making fun of the Swiss bank guy. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Um, not to me, but it could be out there. So also when I first watched this movie, when it came out in 2011, that was when I yeah. was living in Israel. And huh? they had Hebrew subtitles, but they did not have English subtitles ever. Huh. So in this scene, and also the scene oh, with geez. the coin, we didn't <laughs> know what was no going idea. on. Oh my well, gosh. <laughs> I mean, you can sort of figure out what's going on from context. Yeah. Wow. So that was just kind of funny. I was like, I'll wait. All right. I'll wait for you to be, to be finished. <laughs> All right. So we move to Las Vegas where Mar- we meet Moira McTaggart. And mm-hmm. she is an agent of the CIA. And so she and another agent are staking out a bar. Apparently in this bar are three mob bosses, the Italian ambassador, CEO of Lockheed, and a NATO guy. A NATO guy. See, this part I thought I was like, Christian's going to love this. This is like the spy stuff, much mm-hmm. more than Eric. <laughs> Come on. All right. I, I, so I'm going to say that when I watch this movie, this is the movie that clinched me at that time where I said, I want, uh, oh my gosh, now I can't think of the actor's name. The guy who played Michael Magneto, Fassbender? Michael, Michael Fassbender, to be the next Bond. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, although I think it may have passed him by, and I think he's done too much mainstream stuff to to anyone to see him as Bond, rather than, oh, Michael Fassbender's playing Bond, rather than being Bond, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I did like this. That it was, it's very 60s. 60s music, 60s costumes. Mm-hmm. Which I was hoping the whole movie was going to be like that, but this is really the only <laughs> this is the only part with a '60s pop song in it, as far no. as I could tell. Well, okay, there's one other part. There's a They're lot rare. of uh, actually, Shaw loves to apparently to listen to uh, Edith Piaf's "La Vie en Rose," and so that comes up a lot. Although that was not um, recorded in the '60s, if I recall. Okay, all right. So Moira infiltrates by posing as a stripper, mm-hmm. which is like. I keep telling people superhero and co- superheroes and comic books aren't sexist, and then they keep undermining me, and I really don't appreciate that. Yeah. But she gets in, and she finds out that the bad guys are trying to manipulate this Colonel Hendry, the U.S. Mm-hmm. military, into putting missiles in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Missiles in Turkey? Where have we heard about those before? Which is like, they're oh my gosh, they're, are they going to like engineer the Cuban Missile Crisis? Which... Of course, this is exactly what they do. <laughs> then the next scene is the best scene in the movie. 
Oh. The, Ma- the Magneto bar scene, which is like something out of a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. But although it's really tense and really good, there isn't that much that happens that moves the plot along, aside from he asks these two Nazis where he can find Schmidt. And he doesn't actually get an answer from them. He just kills both of them, and he, and he sees the picture on the wall mm-hmm. with Schmidt in it, uh, which has Miami underneath, like, you know, says Miami underneath it, which... Who knows how long ago that picture was taken? So what if he's not in Miami anymore? Like, couldn't couldn't he have gotten more information out of these guys? Well, did he actually know Schmidt's name? He said Schmidt's name in the Swiss bank scene. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it's something to go on is the idea. So then Moira recruits Charles and he he does his routine on her. Mm -hmm. I like that he's drinking like to celebrate his getting his professorship. He is drinking from a yard glass. Yeah. Which is like, it also shows he's a little bit less mature than the mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart version we, we know from other yeah. movies. Okay. But yeah, so she find, she she basically needs to, know, he needs to know if mutants are real. And again, with his blatant, he doesn't ask, he just reads her mind and says, I have a feeling you know the answer to that question already. Right. And so in Miami, uh, we find uh, Shaw and uh, Colonel Hendry boarding a boat. And Hendry wants, he has a grenade and says, I want my money. And Shaw's mm-hmm. like, you're not going to do it, and grabs a grenade. And this is when we see what Shaw's power is, which is to absorb energy and redirect it. Yes. And by the way, I want to make one little note here about the grenade, which is, from my extensive experience researching by watching Band of Brothers, <laughs> grenades are not powerful enough to kill four people, especially if you have enough enough warning, which they would. So the part where Hendry is like, tell me or I'll kill all of us? Mm-hmm. No. Even without everyone's crazy superpowers... If they just jumped off the side of the boat or even just ran away from the grenade, they would survive it. <laughs> All right. I know movies like to show grenades is like being like a stick of TNT or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's not the case. So next we move to CIA headquarters in Langley. And Charles mm-hmm. is giving a presentation to the CIA bosses, including CIA director McCone. And I thought, well, so... Before this recording, I, we actually looked up, you know, all right, who was the director of the CIA at that time? And I found a photo of him, and it was, it's McCone, and it actually looks pretty accurate. So I'm kudos to them for getting a, the right director and the right look for the director of the CIA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not really a huge detail as far as superhero movies go, but we appreciate the attention to detail over here. Another person in the room is Colonel Stryker, mm-hmm. father of William Stryker, the antagonist mm-hmm. of X2, X-Men United. Yeah. And so Charles is showing off, like, they don't believe him, so Charles shows off his power. I'm very interested about the, Q- the Jupiter missiles that you're thinking about installing in Turkey. And so they all think he's a spy. Mm-hmm. And How else would he know about it? Yeah, right. No. So to counter it, Raven shows off her power and morphs into uh, General Stryker. So this part is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> Absolutely mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Why would they come clean about it? About their powers, that that is. Oh, because they weren't believing them. I don't know. But especially, it's also from a narrative perspective, because it's established that the X-Men are an underground organization that the government maybe knows about, but doesn't know a lot of details and barely tolerates their existence. And then it causes all sorts of continuity problems, especially later in the movie. So I just don't understand why they have them just telling the whole wide world effectively that is the U.S. government, who they are and what they can do, and the fact that mutants even exist. Yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair point. But yeah, so they get, they're get they panicked by the, these people, and so they said, you know, I want them detained immediately, 
And was like, we can't store them here, so they have to be held off-site by... We never get his name, but an agent who is only referred to as in in IMDb and the script as the man in black. Yes, that's right. Subtitles, uh, too. Says he can take them to uh, his offsite facility. And while this is going on, Charles tells more. more uh, I was like, I know you have a lead. We need to go follow it now. And so they go. Their lead takes them to a boat. Magneto is there at the same time. He tries to take on the Hellfire Club, but fails. And because... uh, so we're going to slow down because if you notice a hint. Everything I'm going to focus on is the Magneto stuff because it is the most Bondy and stuff. He's in a wetsuit crawling up, you uh-huh. know, onto the boat. <laughs> Come on, that is mm-hmm. it's super spot like it's super Bond basically. The only thing that make make that more Bond is if he unzipped the wetsuit and he's wearing a tuxedo underneath. It is interesting to see Magneto swimming around and infiltrating, whereas usually he has that big colorful suit and he mm-hmm. flies all over the place. Yeah. So it's an indication that he still doesn't quite know what he's doing. Still new at this. And they're also just trying to tie it to the time period. Right. He tries to fight the Hellfire Club, which is Shaw's, you know, goons. He fails. Yes, he fails because Emma Frost, who's another telepath, is there. And although she wants to kill him, Kevin Bacon Shaw. says, Shaw says, we don't harm our own kind. The Coast Guard shows up. I do like how this reminds me of James Bond because the heroes have like their own little army mm-hmm. of commandos helping them out. Yeah, but then those commandos in the boat get a, in the boats coming up get attacked by twisters caused by. I had to look up this guy's name, Riptide. <laughs> Riptide. I thought it was yeah. Whirlwind. Mm. There's a Spider-Man villain named Whirlwind. Yeah, oh, maybe that was him. <laughs> so I do like the I like this part where Emma Frost is like they have a telepath. What? It's like she recognizes that powers, Charles yeah. is there. So they get in like a, a telepath fight. Magneto attacks the, the, the ship the ship with like a uh, an anchor and chain. Destroys it. But but just like in Thunderball, there's a they ha- they launch something from underneath the boat, except in this case it's not in a smaller boat, it's a submarine. Yes. And this not only reminded me of James Bond, but also reminded me of Batman the movie. <laughs> Which 1960s. Yes, because the sub not only has that like particular colorful look inside of it, but it has all of these crazy rooms with all this different stuff in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like they almost don't even need a real boat. They just stay in that submarine the whole time. Yep. Uh, Magneto goes after it, tries to sink it, but he can't. Charles saves his life. Mm-hmm. And with Magneto, or with Eric, they head back to the covert facility. And we find out that Shaw is working with the Russians. and. Mm-hmm. We meet Hank McCoy, who is showing off a model of the SR-71 Blackbird. So before we get into that, so is this like a subdivision within the CIA? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it's the, the man facility? in black. It's be- I think the thing they were trying to hint at when they call him the man in black is that he's the division in charge of anything extra normal, basically. Yeah, I have the BPRD written down here. I imagine it would probably be S.H.I.E.L.D. if they had the rights <laughs> to S.H.I.E.L.D., but they don't. Right, it's right. Movie. But see, that would have been a lot cleaner getting back to before is they don't even talk to the higher ups at CIA. They just sort of go around them. I just felt like that would have worked a little bit better from a storytelling perspective. Maybe, but then we wouldn't have these. Actually, no, the this, heads of the CIA don't even play a, a role at all until the very end again. Right. Yes. Except for the fact that we need to have Moira reporting to them. I think she could just have report to the man in black. I, I Maybe. Maybe. So, okay, anyway, so, so Beast is there. He looks normal. He, of course, is the actor whose name I forget. He was in Warm Bodies. He's been in a ton of stuff. 
Wasn't he Stephen Hawking, or was that that other one? No, it's the other guy. Oh, wait, was he Alan Turing? No. Okay. That was Benedict Cumberbatch. He was one of the. He was in one of those scientist movies, though. I think. Uh, not a He was Tolkien. Uh, Nicholas Holt is the actor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's in a lot of these romantic movies too. And speaking of romantic, he says when Xavier exposes him as a mutant, he says, "You didn't ask, so I didn't tell." <laughs> Yeah, so Charles outs him, basically, mm-hmm. which was like, wow, wow, Charles, again, abuse of your powers. Yeah, that's not cool. So we should probably mention it now. X-Men, of course, has always been a metaphor for prejudice. And this is the I most guess. obvious part of that. The reference to you didn't ask, so I didn't tell. I guess it'll keep coming up throughout the movie. So J-Law, or rather Raven, is totally into Beast. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, my God. She really wants him bad. It was actually kind of embarrassing to watch. <laughs> and Hank, being a stereotypical nerd, doesn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And we also learned that his powers is that he's really messed up feet that helps him jump on things. Prehensile and- feet, I would say. Okay. Nice but they also are kind of ugly looking. Well, yeah, because well, yeah, they have basically a thumb. <laughs> okay. So meanwhile, Shaw hears that the missiles are in fact going to Turkey all according to plan. And he has the Magneto helmet that gives him immunity from telepathy. Mm-hmm. And he basically has a plan to counter Charles. Uh, he also makes a sexist comment to Emma Frost. He says, get me some ice. And so she goes outside, outside of subs. We find out they're in the Arctic somewhere. And so she like only turns her finger into diamond and chops, you know, chops a piece of ice out of a iceberg. An ice fortress is so James Bond, 60s fine. See, it's, 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 it's all there. <laughs> okay, we get a scene with Raven and Beast. Having a moment. Having yeah. a moment, yeah. I don't feel I need to go into more detail than that. Hank is working on a serum to normalize appearances, but not abilities. So he wants to take some of her blood to mm-hmm. uh, because she has you know morphogenic abilities. So he thinks that in her DNA and her, and her genetics is the key for his serum. And they're about to kiss, and then Eric comes by to ruin the moment. <laughs> As he does. So Eric's on his way out, but Charles convinces him to stay. Yeah, well, not, not only is he on his way out, he has the file, the CIA file on Shaw, and he's stealing it so he can go off on his own. Apparently he learned nothing from their last fight nope, with Shaw. Nope, because nope. he's a persistent uh, guy. With a license to kill, not really. Well, no, but the <laughs> will to kill. <laughs> Yes. So we also learned that Beast has built Cerebro to find other mutants. Yeah, so he transforms a radio dish into a mutant finder. Uh, and the man in black is, you know, wants to, you know, wants to use it to find all these mutants. But Charles and Eric are both like, no, if we're doing this, we need to be the ones to find them. Mutants need to be found by their own kind. Which is, I don't know what the director was trying to say with that. With well, that. it's the difference between finding commonality with someone or the government labeling you and rounding you up. Okay, that's a good point. Also in this scene, I this is when I first noticed that Charles has gray hair. Really? Yeah. I notice that. It's like somewhere in here, which I don't know if it's consistent throughout the movie, but certainly the part where they're talking about getting Cerebro up and running. Totally great, just like little streaks somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a joke. Yeah, they joke about you know. So he well, first of all, he they put the helmet on him and. Hank jokes, you know, you sure can't convince you to shave your head. Mm-hmm. Again, hinting towards Patrick Stewart and the baldness. 
right? That's like the one thing people know. Well, the two, three things people know about Xavier is that he's bald, he's oh, telepathic, and he's and in he's a, wheelchair. a wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there's a scene, there's a line here where Benito says, I've been a lab rat. I know one when I see one. <laughs> Cerebro works. And mm-hmm. so they go on a recruiting mission and they find five mutants. Well, uh, yes. Angel, Darwin, Alex Summers, Banshee, whose name I can never, Sean, Sean, something. I don't know. He's yeah. just Banshee to me. And Logan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the one Hugh Jackman. Uh, cameo in the movie. They find him. They go up, go up to him, and say, "And he's on, you know, I'm Charles Xavier. I'm Eric Lynchier." And he says, "Go after yourself." Even the Israeli audience liked that one. <laughs> and but watch it again without the audience like screaming and reacting and laughing. It goes on a little bit longer than I remembered. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I enjoyed. So I realized looking back, like with uh, including cameos, I feel like the only X Men movie to not have. Hugh Jackman is the last one, uh, Dark Phoenix. What about Apocalypse? He takes a cameo. Oh, he does? Yeah. Okay. Well, that explains why Dark Phoenix was so bad. <laughs> I still so, haven't seen Have you? Yeah, I watched it on an airplane. <laughs> and it, was very, it was very boring. <laughs> Back on the sub, Frost can feel Charles, and mm-hmm. she's concerned because he she shouldn't be able to feel his power at this distance. And they so basically, Sean, Sean and the Hellfire Club know that they're recruiting yes she also makes a reference to the fact that we're the children of the atom mm-hmm. which i think is from the comics it is from the comics. i know we said we weren't going to do that but i, I mean we that. are still but we're trying <laughs> to focus um okay. so charles and eric are in front of the lincoln memorial playing chess with nobody there made me wonder how they were able to pull that one off i don't know maybe everyone's in quarantine <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he used his powers. It's not like he has much of an issue with using his powers. For his true, true. Yeah. Talking about the future of mutants, basically. And so Eric is more pessimistic. Charles is more optimistic about it. Boils down to the essence of their the difference in their ideology. Where, right. you know, Eric wants to basically, you know, usher in the age of mutant kind and where you know, homo sapiens are no longer relevant. Whereas Charles wants to work with, with mankind. I think it's interesting, Charles says... They need us because we have common enemies, the Russians, the Hellfire Club, and who knows what else. Mm-hmm. Magneto says, yeah, but they only need us for now. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is an argument that's been through every X-Men movie and it'll never be resolved. <laughs> so we won't get into too much of it here. But the, the movie, I think, does a really good job showing it, as opposed to just having Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen like glowering at each other and making speeches. <laughs> we are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter now. Yeah, I, I, I like it a little more toned down. Too well, I think, because I still remember all these callbacks. <laughs> so, meanwhile, the team is like hanging out in a lounge, mm-hmm. and they really awkwardly come up with code names for each other. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense because they were like, "Oh, you know, we're you know we're we're government agents now," which is what the G in G Man stands for. Okay. So we all need secret agent code names, and they all like show off all their powers. Yeah, so really quickly, there are probably too many characters, I feel. So yeah. we, ha- we have Angel, who, who can fly. And, and acid spit, yeah. I wanted to point out that she was a stripper when they recruited her, and I'm like, how many strippers does one PG-13 movie need? Apparently that many, and that's it, because that's the last we hear. Well, unless you just count Emma Frost walking around in lingerie the whole time. I do. So then next we have Darwin, who used to be a taxi driver, and his power is being adapted to survive in any environment. 
Banshee, who is my favorite character when I first watched this, and I still <laughs> like him. He can mm-hmm. scream at high pitch frequencies. It's the Irish connection, isn't it? That no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I like that he can fly, All right. and that he seems to have like a really chill, laid back attitude, which is to say he doesn't have all these emotional hangups. Then we have Alex Summers, who can uh, basically channel energy. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, is that all of them? Oh my gosh, are we forgetting someone? That would be hilarious. Oh, well, obviously Beast and, uh, well, Hank McCoy and uh, Raven. And Raven are, are there. Yeah. I think that's everybody. So I also like a couple of these points when Angel shows off her wings. Darwin says, I'm turned on and disgusted. I missed that. Wow. This is why you have to watch movies with subtitles. Because if I, you I can't did, hear it, if you can't yeah. hear it, the subtitles will tell you. Oh my gosh. This is really funny. And they also peer pressure Alex into blowing up a statue. Angel had already uh, acid spit on. Do you know who the statue was of? I didn't know. It, it probably was it. some CIA guy. Yeah. But I liked when they were peer pressuring Alex, they do like a Scooby Doo, like everyone <laughs> leads did, around the corner. Yes. <laughs> yep. but, but it is weird to have this, I will say, tone in movies. We've talked about this before. Yeah. It's weird having a movie where someone's mother gets killed in front of them. Torture. Hey violence people saying go fuck yourself but then also like these really goofy comedy scenes yeah it's all about if you can make it make sense tonally Mm -hmm. i mean it works because they're teenagers or supposed to be like teenage or young adults well i'm glad you brought that up because that leads into my next question which is why is every just about everybody in this movie the same age by everybody i mean the mutants the mutants except for eric and charles yeah but even charles isn't that much older than raven yeah and oh, Raven's the same age as the rest of them, right? Um, because they wanted to get people who weren't old or too young mm-hmm. so they could fight. That, that's my reasoning that I just pulled out of my hat. Yeah, that's a good reason. But I like that because it's like subtle. It's like, yes, we want to take care of mutants, but we also want people who can give a little bit back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, they're explicitly the re- recruiting them to fight against, uh, against Shaw. So yeah, they're going to get people who are younger, who are fighting shape, I guess, or and have also it brings to the point of why are they recruiting people with these kinds of powers and not, you know, people who have various, you know, subtle mutations where they're not going to be useful. It's because they're recruiting an army, basically. Wars are always fought by children, Bruce. Well, that actually leads me to the next part where we have Moira talking to the higher ups. Mm-hmm. They call them mutants freaks. And she says these freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. And then when they get back, the teens are like having a big party. Yeah. Yeah. find the statue destroyed and they're pissed mm. off but of course this is where very clunkily mystique gives uh eric and charles their code names so clunkily and <laughs> havoc too mm-hmm. but then eric said i think it's or sorry i think it's charles charles says i expect more from you yeah and i was just like what you take from these raven. people to Raven specifically, not yeah. to all of them? No, just to Raven specifically, because, you know, it's his sister. Yeah, but I'm sort of like, you take these young people from their lives, you put them in a CIA base, and you just effectively leave them there. Yeah. What did you expect them to do? It's not like they've had any training or any kind of reason for being there sure. yet. And that's what, that's what Eric is saying. Like, these kids are not ready for Shaw. Well, whose fault is that? No, they need, they definitely heroes. need training. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so, Charles and Eric go with the CIA team to find Shaw, and we find out that Shaw isn't there, but Frost is. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, CIA is only after Shaw, they won't go in. But Eric, very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very typical. Yeah, well, very typical Eric, just going <laughs> off half-cocked. Mm-hmm. Goes in, 
and Charles follows him. And so they uh, they find that Emma's using her powers to make the Russian general think he's seducing her. And so they enter the room, and Charles uses his powers to uh, dispel the illusion, and they capture her. I have a question before we get into that. Yes. Is, so, so Emma uses her mind powers to make her think, yeah. to make the general think that they're getting getting it on, Okay. Why, if she's using her powers to make him think that she's there, does she have to take her clothes off? Good question. I don't know. It's because this movie is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So Magneto effectively tortures Emma Frost into breaking her diamond form so that Charles can read her mind and find out what they need to know. And what they discover is that Sean literally plans to end the world with a nuclear exchange Mm -hmm. to end the world of humans and bring on a mutant age. Assuming that all of these mutants, or enough mutants, rather, will survive this war, which seems ridiculous to me. Right, but, and okay. that, that's what, so I didn't get this the first time around. I thought he, I thought that um, Shaw thought that mutants would be invulnerable against a, a nuclear war. Like, the existing mutants would, you know, survive because they're mutants, and they would be immune to nuclear radiation and everything. But it's like, no... He doesn't care about the mutants who are already now, but he just wants to kill everyone else, and then from there, the mutants will rise from the ashes. Well, we know who would survive, Darwin, because he mm. can survive anything. But the rest of them, yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. Unless they happen to be in a nuclear bunker or something. See, that's what's interesting to me, is Sean never seemed like a, just a crazy, evil dude. Like, yeah, he was definitely evil, but there was always a method to his madness. But I guess that's the whole premise of the movie, so they have to go with it. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Hellfire Club attacks the CIA, kills the man in black. Yeah. He's the first death, I think. Well, at least the first death we see on screen Mm -hmm. of the uh, people of the CIA uh, black site. Yes. The the teleporter guy named Azazel. Azazel, who's supposed to be Nightcrawler's dad, I think. Oh, my God. I I really... Uh, In the comics, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, come on. They look identical, except for he's blue. And Azazel's red. And they have similar powers, yeah. Fair the enough. exact same powers. <laughs> okay, so there's, there's a couple of quotes I like from this fight. There's a part where Shaw is walking in the front door. He says, where do I find the more evolved people? <laughs> and then once they he does find them, we hear a nameless guard from outside the room say, just let us normal people go. Yeah, not See, a great... I, I thought, I was like, did Shaw like fake that to try to turn the heroes against no, it's just clunky exposition. Maybe. Yeah, Shaw's not really that tricky. He's more direct. So I mean, if, 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 for example, Mystique was already on his side, then I could see them doing that. But he has no method to do that. Well, it just shows how useful Mystique is to have on your side. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Shaw pitches his plan to the kids, the teenagers. Mm-hmm. There's a part where he says, you can be enslaved, and he looks at Darwin. He's black. Very not subtle. No. But the only person he can convince to join his team is Angel. Yeah. She says, we don't belong here. I'll uh, express my uh, uncomfortability with that after the next part, which is where Darwin goes, says, you know, I'll join you too, but has a plan with Alex. So he, once Darwin's over there, he goes and cover and uses mutation to shield Angel and Alex 
uses his powers to try to attack Shaw. But mm-hmm. Shaw, because he absorbs energy, just absorbs it and redirect it into a tiny ball that he just puts in Darwin's mouth. And Very disappointing. Very disappointing. Darwin's job is, that's literally his power is not mm-hmm. to die. And he dies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, it just, what this leaves you with is, oh, okay, all the white mutants are in the X-Men and mm-hmm. all the mutants of color are either dead and I'm sometimes literally of color in those red, but, you know, Riptide is, I think, Latino. So all the mutants of color are on the bad guys. Like, oh, I don't like that. Unless you count blue as a color. Mm. As much as I like Banshee, I didn't feel like any of these new recruits were, like, essential people. Any of them could have died. Or none of them. I would have preferred none of them have died. Um, Banshee, yeah. I would have liked if Darwin stayed around. Especially because Shaw literally said 20 minutes ago, we don't harm our own kind. Yeah. So how quickly their principles start to break down is once the bullets start flying. In Moscow, the missiles are going to Cuba. Well, not just going to Cuba. It is Shaw's idea that they put the missiles in Cuba. Yes, he's, he's pitching bringing the missiles to Cuba, and he brings his muscle along to make sure the general does what he wants. So with this, it's yeah, Shaw is single-handedly responsible for the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's right. <laughs> you think you think that's funny? Oh, I think it's hilarious. Like, I, I mean, I enjoy that they're fitting real world, you know, situ- like uh, occurrences into the plot. But mm-hmm. it's it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate like, it. No, it, it. But I mean, in in the best way, because it's as ridiculous as a Bond villain plot, and I like that. <laughs> it's like even more elaborate than a than a Bond villain plot. It requires no. more things going right. To actually work. You know how many Bond villain plots are, all right, we're going to pit two superpowers against each other? There's at least five of them. <laughs> really? Because most of the Bond villain plots I know is, oh, I have this super secret weapon. I'm just going to use it to threaten. You know, like in Austin Powers, we have the laser. Give me $1 million. That's one of, the, one of them, but it's usually either that or it's the you only live twice is where, you know, we're going to attack two superpowers but make them think someone else same exact same plot for tomorrow never dies oh we have a stealth boat that we're gonna a stealth yeah a stealth boat that we're gonna use to make the china and britain try to attack each other it is a standard plot but why because you can't have actually two super fighting powers fighting against each other why are they doing it or why are they because james bond villains are not mutants who want to bring on a new mutant age well i mean and we'll get into this later but uh (laughs) for the one where they're pitting china against britain it's because the villain Elliot Carver is a media mogul who wants uh, with broadcast rights to China for the next hundred years. <laughs> you give me the newspaper, Mister Something. I'll give you the war. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> yep. Well, and they quote that line in Tomorrow Never Dies. But we're losing focus. <laughs> okay. Right. So we get back to our heroes. They're all mad about Darwin's death. They want revenge on Shaw, even though they've only known Darwin for and, five minutes. And I forget who who says it. Charles or someone else says we can avenge him. And at this point, my wife jokingly says, they should call themselves the Avengers. <laughs> Which that was really bad, sense. too. That was actually way better. <laughs> that was way better in the movie when they came up with that name than in the comics. Have you read the comic where they come up with their name, the Avengers? I think we I, talked about this already. I don't remember what it is. What is it? So the original ones, it's like yeah. Iron Man and whatever. And they were like, what's your name be? And somebody says, it should be something cool and dramatic, like the Avengers. Oh, it's Wasp that says like, that. That's right. And someone's like, no, that's perfect. We're just going to go with the Avengers. 
Yeah, at least in the MCU, well, at least before you know, we got a retcon in uh, in Captain Marvel. It's because they're avenging Coulson. Doesn't they say we may not be able to defend the Earth, but we'll avenge it? Yeah, I love well, that's, that. That's after they're avenging Coulson. Also, by this time, we already know. All right, we can cut all of this out. No, I'm not cutting this. This is great. <laughs> In Iron Man 2, we already know that... Well, no, even in Iron Man 1, we already know it's called the Avengers Initiative. Oh, yeah. So it's like it's just a whole mess of things. Well, that's why they retconned it kind of in, in Captain Marvel, where that was, you know, Captain Marvel's call sign. But we're losing focus again. <laughs> okay. Right. So somebody, I think it's a CIA guy, says, Emma Frost is too dangerous to be kept alive. Se- quote, security is more important than liberty. That discussion of morality was like, what is that doing in this movie? The prejudice thing works as your political statement for X-Men movies. Don't add yeah. any more. One is fine. We get it. Uh, well, oh, hold on. When was this movie made? What, 2011? 2011, because that's when I was in Israel, so I remember it. All right, so what was going on in the world? Um, you know, the usual. It was like, post-Iraq there... war. Okay. This is already past the waterboarding scandal, right? It may have been in there. Okay. It may so maybe there. maybe that's what it was. I'm wondering what that was a reaction to. I mean, when did when okay when did Captain America and Winter Soldier come out? Because that was uh, like the same. 2014. Okay, so they yeah. they talk about that too. This isn't freedom. This is fear. So they love doing that. Okay. Anyway, they're talking about Emma. She cuts a hole in the glass and makes a cool line where it's not a war. War implies you have a chance of surviving, and you don't. Which makes you wonder, like, how are they able to keep her in prison? They're not. She's only there because she wants to be, basically. Okay. I, I accept that. Why she wants to be there? Who knows? <laughs> well, she probably figures her Hellfire Club buddies are so powerful, they can just break that break her out whenever they feel like it. So True, true. Yeah. And I mean, literally, Azazel could. He could just teleport in and get her out. His son can only teleport to places he can see. But we know that, apparently, Azazel can teleport all the way from Vegas to wherever that war room is. Oh, yeah. So, he's better at it. I don't know, there's no explanation. (laughs) Let's move on. Alright, so the team arrives at the Xavier Mansion to start training. And uh, we get a nice training montage. They Mm -hmm. all unleash their potential. So, I was, again, going back to the Marvel movies, when, you know, when uh, Hank laps Charles, I was waiting for an on your left. Yeah. I actually feel like this montage goes on a little too long. Mm, yeah. It's like, yeah, we get the idea. They they get better. First Banshee can't fly, then they throw him off of enough high places, and then he can, which is ridiculous. Havoc gets a dish on his on his chest that helps him focus the beam, basically. Yep. And uh and we oh. have Eric training with Charles, and Charles helps him move past, you know, his basically expand his powers by you know, usually when he's doing it, he needs the, the heat of the moment and the anger to really focus those powers. And mm-hmm. and Charles helps him move past channeling the anger. And he says, true focus lies somewhere between rage and serenity. And so he's able to move this giant satellite dish, which makes me wonder, all right, first of all, whose satellite dish is that? Well, is that the one they use for Cerebro? No, because that was in Virginia, Virginia. Now they're in Westchester in New York. Maybe, maybe they built another one so they could have <laughs> Cerebro again. Maybe, maybe. But I'm just like, if that's not, and that someone else is, you know, using it for science or whatever, they'll be pissed if it gets moved. Yeah, it's painted, pointed a specific direction for a reason. Yeah. I guess in this case, size does matter when it comes <laughs> to using Magneto's powers. Yeah. 
Unlike the not forest. like the force, no. <laughs> nope. But then while the rest of them are getting more powerful, Raven is starting to feel more doubts about what she's doing. Raven, like, she's working out, and Eric makes the important point that if you're focusing half your attention on keeping your, you know, staying blonde and and uh, white, you, then that's half of your attention that's not being used to fight or do whatever you're trying to do. Yep. And he's like, why should you hide the world? I think, yeah, somebody says, we shouldn't try to fit in. Society should conform to us. And then, so JFK is making one of his speeches, as we saw in 13 days. Mm -hmm. And they realize that Shaw is going to be right in the middle of the crossfire if, you know, there's two superpowers fighting. Yes. And we even so, get a scene of Shaw on his boat or at the blockade or on his sub at the blockade. And he says, there's no one to stop me, which is so ridiculous. And he's watching a news report and they mentioned panic buying, which reminded me of, you know, now as a time of recording. Yeah. Uh, Hank offers Raven the chance to appear normal with his serum. Raven is having second thoughts. And I think this is where you get that. Yeah. Society should try to conform to us. And right. Hank is a jerk about her appearance as a like her blue appearance. Do you feel like he was being a jerk or yes. do you think? Yes. I mean, he's like, my feet and your blue form will never be considered beautiful. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's so harsh. It, it was, I mean, he's, it's tactless. Yeah. I mean, if he had said something like, people will always stare at you because you're blue. That's different that, than saying, well, yeah. you'll never be considered beautiful. It's like, right. wow, Tank. Wow. Classic. So she turns him down. He injects himself in the feet. Oh, also, by the way, he's like, oh, it won't affect our powers, but he uses his feet to climb. Right? I was wondering about how would that work? I don't know. Maybe what he meant to say is it won't affect your powers. It will affect my powers. If I was the screenwriter, that's what I would have had him say. But I don't know. She makes a point. Look how much you've changed this week. So it's been <laughs> one week that this montage has been going on. Well. You thought the Karate Kid was bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, the Karate Kid is supposed to, it's like not just a week, it's like months. Yeah, exactly. But that's a common criticism of the Karate Kid is uh, that you do a montage and suddenly you're, you can achieve your dreams. You can say that about like any training montage, though. Yeah, but the Karate Kid was, I think, it's held up as like a specific example of that trope. Okay. Eric and Charles are playing chess and Eric wants to kill Shaw and Charles is trying to convince him that, you know, killing Shaw will not bring him peace and they disagree again, you know. It's Magneto, fundamental. Yeah, Magneto says peace was never an option, which is great. So Hank takes the, the serum. His foot starts to go back to normal. Then it changes back and mutates further. And we see, you know, his lab gets trashed. And then yes. we get Raven in Charles, in, sorry, in Eric's bed. Mm -hmm. And it's the meme that everyone's seen. Oh, I prefer the real thing. No, <laughs> I meant the real one. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> We've all seen that meme. It's weird seeing it again. I imagine that's what watching Star Wars prequels will be like now. So General Kenobi, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so originally Eric is like, no way, Raven, we're not getting together. Try again in a few years, but then they end up getting together anyway. It's well, I don't know. Uh, okay, I, it was left ambiguous. Also, I like the cameo of Rebecca Romaine, who played the original Mystique in the X Men movies. Right. But she's harder to identify when she's not blue. True. But anyway, so it ends with him kissing her while they're in bed, which I imply as... All right, like all right. Bad. It's ambiguous, but yes. And then afterwards, Raven and Charles talk, and Raven is not wearing any clothes, just in her blue form. Mm -hmm. And Charles is, you know, freaked out about that because he sees her as her sister, and that's like seeing your sister naked. 
Right. Raven realized that Charles wants to be a part of the world and will never, you know, really embrace, you know, Mutekind being on top because of that. Yeah. And there's a really sudden cut here where she's like, we'll never be part of the world. And then it cuts. Yeah. So that's a little strange. And then they all get their suits in the next yeah. scene. Yeah. So there, yeah. Hank's lab is trashed, but there's a box marked X in tape. Like, really? Really? <laughs> Lots of things are marked X. The, the, the mannequin was marked X as the place to shoot it, right? But actually, I want to go back to the, something that I thought about in the training montage just now. Okay. Compare it and contrast it to the training montage from Kingsman, and they're very similar. Yeah, I believe that. And that's because it's the same director, Matthew Vaughn, and I'm even wondering if it's the same mansion that they used. It sure, it sure looked like a similar mansion, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so go back to, yeah, so they get their suits, and um, they're the classic blue, like, yellow and blue original costumes from the comics. Which without the, the thing 60s. that goes over the head. Yeah, without the mask. But close towel. enough. Yeah. I like them way better than the black leather. <laughs> well, in you the trilogy. Yellow spandex. Almost anything than the black <laughs> leather. It just feels so 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get to get to the hangar for the Blackbird, and Hank is there, and he is further mutated. He gets his new name, Beast. Nice. Because he didn't really have a down. code name before, except for Havoc kept calling him Bozo. I, I guess they never got to him in that scene in the lounge when they're all getting yeah. code names. So he's blue, he's furry, he's very easily pissed off. Yeah, he's more in touch with his animalistic side, basically. He's still wearing glasses for some reason. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> he's all beast-like. And then he has glasses, which is, uh, you know, it's, 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 in the, it's accurate to the comics, but it looks ridiculous, but I liked it. Maybe he doesn't need them, but it show, he's like trying to retain his humanity. Maybe. His maybe. intellectual maybe he side. actually does need them to read. <laughs> Uh, Maybe. Which is hilarious. So then we get the American sailors running the blockade, or rather that is operating the blockade. Yeah. Michael Ironside from Starship <laughs> Troopers is the captain. He's there. There's like there's so many bit like like you know, name actors who are playing bit parts. Like uh there's one guy who whose name escapes me right now who's in the one of the war room scenes, like, wait, that guy's in there. You know, lately I've been I started Mad Men this week. Yeah. And that is like an all-star cast of people. Oh, did you recognize January Jones? So there's January Jones. Christina Hendricks, obviously, is well-known. So is John Hamm. But then there's also The Handmaid from The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, really? Oh. And Howard Stark. One of the Howard Starks. Wait, what? Oh, the the old one. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dominic Cooper is a real Howard Stark. He was in Captain America, the, um, the first Avenger. Oh, okay. I thought he was just an Agent Carter. No, I didn't realize he was in the- yep. Anyways. Mike Ironside says, if they cross that line, we fire. God help us all. I always love it when people say that in movies. <laughs> and there's one cargo boat, the Arrow Sea, which is crossing the border. On the bridge of a Soviet ship, there's a captain. And then this other guy comes up to him and says, why are you so eager for new orders? Yeah, what was this? up with that? I do remember that, but I don't remember what the context of it was. The captain wanted new orders because he wanted the orders to be stop. Don't keep going. And we're going to give up. But I think the guy who was giving him a hard time was the political officer. (laughs) The political officer, like in The Hunt for Red October? Yes, like in episode three, The Hunt for Red October. (laughs) Uh, It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but so they do get their orders, reverse course, everybody Mm -hmm. stop, but the RLC doesn't. And then we get the X-Men's arrival, which is great. It was fantastic. And, yeah, so the Blackbird's flying through, and we find out the RLC is continuing to go because Azazel has killed all of the crew on board right. it. This, like, end part is, like, all action. <laughs> yeah. 
Charles mind controls that same Russian political officer to fire a missile at the X-Jet. It misses, hits the RLC, and blows the shit out of it. Because the Shaw, Shaw's like, they're here, which is also really cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. And he goes to power up because there's a nuclear reactor in his sub. Because, of course, there's a nuclear sub. Yeah, of course. So they're like, okay, we need to find the sub. Banshee, we're going to have you do sonar. This part makes no sense, but I loved it anyway. <laughs> yeah, so he uses his power. Like, he goes out outside or out, out of the ship, flies a little bit, drops into the water, and then uses his thing. That, like, how would his ears know to pick that up and identify it as it, sonar? It, let alone, and then they're like, oh, he's found them. How would he communicate to them? I guess Charles read his mind. That's how he's able to find <laughs> yeah, it. No, that's exactly it. Like, it's it's like like Martian Manhunter providing a link to the whole team. They, yeah, but he's just reading everyone's minds without their permission. What a guy. So, meanwhile, Shaw is continuing to pump himself up, and then Magneto lifts the sub. Yeah, and they get a nice call back to Charles focusing with Eric, saying, you know, the, the place between rage and serenity. So let's pause for a second. I want to talk about why I think this movie is the best X-Men movie. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. Well, actually, I may have a slight argument, but go ahead. Most people, in my experience, say that X2 is the best X-Men movie. All right. But the thing is, all of the best action is in the beginning of X2. That's true. uh, Yeah, there's there's the fight between Lady Deathstrike and and Wolverine in the end. But then that's it. It's like a one-on-one fight, and then the movie just sort of ends. It doesn't have a big, grand, epic finale that this one does. There's basically no real big, awesome parts like Magneto lifting the sub. I do like in X2, speaking of which, when he catches the X-Jet and says, when will these people learn how to fly? <laughs> but I will say, I, it, for me, it's a toss between this and uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah, Days of Future Past is really good. Mm-hmm. And it has thing, both timelines, and I like it. Yeah, but the, the thing is, Days of Future Past is all Wolverine all the time again. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like Wolverine, but every X-Men movie is a Wolverine movie co-starring everybody else. True. As a Cyclops fan, he never gets his due because it's always focused on Wolverine. Yeah. Which is why I was hoping the new ones, when there's no Wolverine, he'd get more of a focus, but no. And But again, we're losing focus. (laughs) Okay, so they get hit by a tornado. Caused by Riptide. Yes. He drops the the sub on the shore. Is it of Cuba? That's where the beach is? That's Cuba. Okay. And the X-Jet crashes as well. And then I like that when Charles is issuing orders, he's like, go, you there, blah, 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 cover me. Blah, blah, so blah, blah. so <laughs> the X-Men are fighting the Hellfire Club. Magneto's yes. going after Shaw. Mm-hmm. And Charles is guiding him through the sub, telling him where he should be. And Magneto finds him, turns off the reactor, and confronts Shaw. But yes. Charles can't reach them uh, psychically in the reactor until... Magneto, like, Magneto's getting thrown around by Shaw, and he creates a crack in the reactor. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, keep, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. He's like, you mean, keep getting thrown around? Yeah, do you think it was supposed to be funny? Because I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> it's like, shows I'm getting thrown around. He's like, keep it up, you're doing great. Like, it's weird seeing Magneto as the butt of a joke. Yeah. He's such a serious character. So Shaw makes his pitch to Magneto again. He's made yeah. the same speech, like, three different times. And Magneto just punches him in the face, which doesn't seem very Magneto-like. But he also, like, brings down the entire reactor around him and, like, right. traps him. But it's like, he's wearing that helmet that's made out of metal. Just pull the helmet off his head and, like, beat the shit out of him with it. I don't know. Well, I mean, because it's, it's, it's the prime, you know, his primal emotions, and he just wants to use his fists to murder mm-hmm. the guy who killed his mother. Well, speaking of that, Shaw yeah. says, I'm sorry for what happened in the camps. 
what? Like, how can you even say that? No. Piece of shit. <laughs> I like how he, like, pushes through all those girders. I thought that part was really cool. Charles freezes Sean in place using his powers. Right. And that's when Magneto makes a turn. Yeah, Magneto says, we are the future. So he actually kind of agrees with Shaw's ideology Mm -hmm. and says, unfortunately, you killed my mother, so you have to die. Yeah. And and he says, I'm going to count to three and then I'm going to move the coin. It's like, yo, dude. Yeah, I mean, I know it's a callback, but he's already, you're going to kill him. Why toy with him? That's just mean. Because he's a villain. (laughs) This is, reminds me of the common complaint, and it seems to happen to James Bond more than everyone. Oh, what? More than other action heroes? No, not monologuing. Where the villain is helpless, and the hero has the gun pointed at him, and the villain says, if you kill me, you're just as bad as me. I don't think Bond gets that. It's superheroes who get that. But Bond does not, because Bond is less skilled, and he just kills people. Okay, maybe it's not Bond. But it's other action heroes, I'm sure. So this is a perfect example of that. So he does, in fact, kill him. I liked how this was framed, and it makes you realize that, all right, Charles is holding him and Shaw in place. Like they frame it so that they're like identically placed as, and you see as the coins go in through Shaw's head, you see Charles too. And you realize Charles can feel all of this happening to Shaw. I'm like, that is terrifying. Well, I was wondering why he was like freaking out. Charles, that is. Yeah. Cause it's, I it's sort of framed like he was just upset that Magneto was killing no, that's somebody. Framing. That's, it's implying that he's feeling all of that. Okay. Because the heads are like framed identically as, you know, you have it going through Shaw's head and then you have camera passing Charles too at the same time. Oh, okay. So he probably felt him die while he felt him die. Felt the feelings of what he's feeling as the coin is going through his brain. Hmm. Yeah. So he tries to tell him not to kill him, but I'm like, Menu has already killed Nazis before. So what's the problem? Or rather, does not count when it's just humans, you speciesist. <laughs> Shaw is dead, but it's still not over because McCone, director of the CIA, and everyone else in the war room is like, now's our chance to kill all the mutants. And apparently Russia has agreed problem. to this. Yeah. So they all fire, agree on a strike against mutants. Eric says that he can feel the guns being pointed at them. And they all fire their missiles. How is this going to solve the mutant problem? There's mutants everywhere. You kill mm-hmm. like eight of them here. Because they're... they're very short-sighted is what it is. Yeah, they make bad decisions. Okay, so the fleet fires. Magneto stops all the missiles. And, and turns them around. Them. Yes. Uh, Charles tries to talk him out of it. Says, prove that we're the better man. Charles says, they're just following orders. Magneto says... That's right. I... Oh, sorry, yes. you want to say it then? No, no, no. Well, I remember that. I just remember... I didn't remember there was a line that led into that. But yes, I remember the, where he says, you know, there are lots of men on those ships, innocent men who are just following orders. Mm-hmm. And Magneto says, I've been at the mercy of men who were just following orders never again. Uh, and unfortunately, I may get in trouble for saying this, yeah. but I don't, I don't like the never again phrase. I don't like right, to hear it. Right. So, of course, this is a reference to the Holocaust, as people know. Yeah. Every Go year ahead. when people say it, every time people say it, it becomes empty to me interesting okay because of course it did happen again and it continues to happen again in places like china and syria so the jewish community to their credit when i worked in the synagogue i saw they were involved with the stop the genocide in darfur Mm -hmm. how much good did that do though i'm much more partial to the 9-11 never forget all right all right but yeah i thought it was like and i uh, the writing was well done here i thought because charles in the moment is like you know just following orders i'm like oh that is 
never the thing to say to a Holocaust survivor. It's never the right thing to say to anybody. It's not a good argument. Yeah. Do you think Manito was wrong to shoot back? They were shooting at him. Yes. Well, so this is not to get us too far off topic. <laughs> All right. But this is also why Batman and Superman don't kill people. Mm. I mean, it's, it's that thing. The If we kill them, we're just like them, which you mentioned earlier. Well, it's not only that. That's part of it, but there's more to it. It's also because these people aren't real. They can accomplish what they want to accomplish without needing to kill people. I feel like right, we might have talked right. about this already. Maybe. So, like, Magneto doesn't need to blow up all these ships in order to protect the X-Men, right? He can just send the missiles into the ocean, which, of course, mm-hmm. is exactly what happens. So, for him to shoot back and kill everybody, that that is murder. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. Eric, since he's not listening, so Charles just tackles Eric. Some of the missiles fall into the oceans, other resume course. Mora shoots at Eric. Mm-hmm. Magneto deflects some of the all the little bullets, and one of them gets deflected right into Charles's spine. I didn't like this part. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's a little bit like the Star Wars prequels. I have to explain everything? Okay. Not all everything right. needs to be in a neat little bow. Okay? I liked it because, yes, he didn't... Well, and explains... Because I feel like in the comics, usually Eric is somehow responsible for Charles being in a wheelchair. I actually don't know the comics well enough to know why. Xavier is in a wheelchair. I yeah. feel like it probably changes depending on the continuity and reboots true, true, and so true. on. Well, and some, a lot of them that I read, I don't know in the Ultimate Universe, it, he is responsible. And so I liked it, but I liked that it wasn't directly like, oh, you know, Charles or Eric did something to Charles to intentionally put him in a wheelchair. It was, it's an accident is what it is. Yeah, it's like collateral damage in the mm-hmm. heat of battle. Yeah, and so the missiles all fall down when he sees that Charles is injured. Mm-hmm. Eric chokes, chokes Moira. A very Darth Vader move here. Well, mm-hmm. I, I was saying, like, I thought it was, he felt very Vader in this moment where he's deflecting the bullets and then choking Moira. Yeah, totally. Uh, Charles talks him down, though. Yeah, Eric still wants Charles to join him, but yeah, they we get want another speech. <laughs> like, how many freaking times? This is like Munich. Like, how many times do they get <laughs> speech about humans and mutants? It's like five times. Three from Again. Saw, two from Magneto. Uh, your average audience is an idiot. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, I, your average audience is definitely not taking notes as they watch their popcorn movie. True, true, true. Yeah, well. Yeah. So Magneto says, who's coming with me? The answer is Mystique and all the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess the bad guys just get away with all of the stuff they did, like killing Very the CIA much. agents. And, you know, all the people on the RLC. Yeah, all of them too. <laughs> Mystique says, mutant and proud, which is a callback to earlier. And after they teleport away, everyone rushes over to Charles. And that's when he realizes he can't feel his legs. Yep, so Magneto and everybody has teleported away, and we will not be seeing them again for another 40 years. Except? Except in Days of Futures Past. But most of them aren't there, aren't in Days of Futures Past. Well, except in, in a few, like, two scenes later. Well, right. So then we have JFK making a Thanksgiving speech, so I'm like, is this now a Thanksgiving movie? Because there aren't very many of them. I mean, it is in November, or October and then into November. Right. Moira and Xavier are at the X-Mansion. They explain that they're not with the government anymore. They're not Gene anymore. They're X-Men. <laughs> yeah, Moira comes with the name X-Men in a really awkward way. <laughs> Charles is like, our anonymity is the most important thing. And I'm like, dude, did you forget that you told everybody in the CIA that you have mutant powers? Mm, yeah. Because at the beginning of the movie, 
Yeah, yeah. All right, and, and now I'm coming around to seeing seeing your point on this. So, yes, no. There's well, how will they not stop him? How will they not do anything to against him? It's not like he has a fake name. He is named no, is Charles Xavier, yeah. and he lives in Charles Xavier's house. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. The, you, you may have a point there. Maybe it's like explained in an intro book or something, tie-in yeah. book or something like that. <laughs> uh, Mora says, you know, no matter what they do, I won't tell them anything, and and then they kiss. And he wipes her memory. It, it's a, like a Superman. Was it one yeah. or two? It's, no, it's Superman two. Superman, Superman two. two, yeah. Uh, but at least it's explained why he can do this, not like in Superman two. Right. That makes total sense. It also leads to this great next scene where she's being debriefed by everybody. She's like, "Oh, I remember some things, you know, music, a, a kiss. kiss, and everyone like scoffs." Uh, uh, this is a, this was terrible. It's hilarious. <laughs> Because they say, leave it, you know, this is why, they use this as an example, this is why women shouldn't be in the CIA. It's like, oh, I mean, yeah, that's not, that's not great. But the rest of it was funny. Our final scene is back to Emma Frost. This, well, so apparently, I, I guess they didn't make it clear before, and maybe it was implied because McCone was there, but the CIA headquarters is where they were holding uh, Emma Frost. Yeah. And so they, the headquarters gets attacked, and... Magneto releases Frost along with all the rest of the, you know, the future Brotherhood of Mutants. So Magneto is wearing his classic costume, deep mm, so. red, and the, has the helmet repainted with these little horns classic on the costume. front. Yeah. The horns look ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's part of the classic costume. Yes, I think they could have left those off. I'm like, I'm wondering, when did he take time to make this costume? <laughs> Who <laughs> well, made amb- the costume? It's ambiguous how much time has passed. True, true. No, yeah, true. A week. <laughs> Look how many costumes we've made over the last week. Yeah. You get the end of the movie where he says, you know, where Frost calls him Eric and it says, I prefer Magneto. And then it ends. I'm just saying that to placate Raven. <laughs> to feel included. So then the credits are also in like a 60s style. In a very Dr. No dots. Did you did you recognize that? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Shall we move into spy fact versus spy fiction? Sure. I don't have any. Do you? I do. So, well, first of all, the fact that mutants are involved, obviously fiction. Mm-hmm. But the one Thanks thing they got... That out. Well, for, uh, first of all, and also the ROC not being one of the boats to, to uh, as far as I know, to mm-hmm. pass the blockade. But the big thing was those missiles in Cuba and, and Turkey, they were there in 58 is when they had the order to put them in. And then in 61, they were already there. So, and if you remember from 13 Days, they said that the um, RFK says the missiles are already outdated. So it's not like they were putting them in in 1962. They were there already. Yeah, that's a good point. They were outdated, which means they had to have been there for a while. Yeah, yeah. So that's the big thing I have. Also, as far as we're aware, the CIA does not have a mutant division. Yeah, or any of that stuff. And then nothing was engineered by evil mutants, too. Yes, it, it was not the, the... Sebastian Shaw was not in charge of single-handedly engineering the Cuban Missile Crisis. But I think that's uh, that's what I got for Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction. I, I will give them kudos for giving the right director of the CIA at the time and giving him the right look. Good. All right, so we move it to favorite quotes. Yeah, are we going to have the same favorite quote again? Maybe. I don't know. You can go first. Okay, well, I'll do definitely the what I feel is the best quote in the movie, which is, I'm Frankenstein's monster, and I'm looking for my creator. 
Say my Magneto right before right. he messes up some fool. <laughs> it is a good quote, though, but uh, I like uh, Xavier's quote. Uh, you know, I believe true focus lies somewhere between rage and serenity. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Shall we uh, move into our ratings? All right. Yeah. Why don't you go first with our ratings? As always, between one and ten martinis, one being a terrible spy movie. 10 being a amazing spy movie. What did you think of X-Men First Class? So I'm going to preface this in that I do love this movie. And as a movie, I rate it pretty highly. But as a spy movie, it's going to be a solid five. Like there is some nice spy action. They do have, it is, you know, aside from your superhero movies like Captain America, Winter Soldier or Black Widow, hopefully, if it's out by this time, um, which are explicitly spy movies. This is going to be the most spy superhero action you're going to get, but it's still not like one of those where it's really a spy movie. It's there's spy action, but there's also just a lot of superhero action. But I like that they said in 62, and they're very aware that it's 62, which is, you know, when the first Bond movie came out, so there's a lot of Bond hints, but it's not really a spy movie. <laughs> yes, that's true. So I think this is the best X-Men movie. And I think it's a really good superhero movie. I agree with you that the spy stuff is very lacking. It makes night and day look like the spy who came in from the cold. Ooh. <laughs> so I'm going to be a little more harsh than you and give it a three out of 10. The spy stuff that's in it is good, but there's mm-hmm. just not very much of it. Okay. But thank you. Cause I know it is really me who pushed this. Cause I'm like, all right, we watched we watched something like Cuban Missile Crisis. We got, with the two of us, we have to watch this one. Sure, I mean, it's good it to break fun. it up a yeah. little bit. There was a lot of stuff I didn't remember. Like, I didn't remember the part where he's packing the cruise ship, the, the, the yacht with the anchor. I had no memory of that, so. That is the end of our uh, Cold War 60s spy movies. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of other Cold War 60s spy movies, including, like, a lot of more of the swinging 60s Austin Power style, which... We'll cover it at a later date. For this, we just want to do a little chunk of four movies that had right around that early 60s period. Are you have suggestions for other chunks of movies or themes? Feel free to let us know. Yeah. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a 5-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeo from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. Find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 